Welcome to the important part, investing with Liz Young. I'm Liz Young, head of investment strategy at SoFi, here to help cut through the large amount of information out there about investing and get to the important part. With the help of my guests, you'll gain valuable insights, new perspectives, and the knowledge to confidently make your investment decisions. Welcome back to the important part, everybody. I have an episode for you today about restaurants and hospitality, but mostly about restaurants because I love restaurants and I love food. Who doesn't? But also because this is an industry that was affected very acutely by the pandemic. And now that we've come out of the pandemic and gotten back out into the world, things have changed quite a bit. And I think we all have a lot of questions about the future of the restaurant industry, how things have changed within the industry and how companies have had to adapt in order to survive and thrive in this new world. So we have a guest for you today. His name is Bo Peabody. Bo is a serial entrepreneur, including being the co-founder of Meze Restaurant Group and the co-founder and executive chairman of Seated, a dynamic pricing platform for restaurants. Bo is also a venture partner at Graycroft Partners, where he invests primarily in hospitality technology companies. Bo also sits on the board of directors of the Bocaria Restaurant Group, which consists of eight restaurants in New York City, D.C., Chicago, and Nashville. Bo has co-founded and invested in a multitude of companies and is a trusted voice in both entrepreneurship and venture capital. In fact, he wrote a book for entrepreneurs called Lucky or Smart, which was published by Random House in January of 2005. And with that, let's get to the interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Bo. I'm so excited to have you here to talk about one of the industries that is near and dear to my heart and my stomach, which is the restaurant industry and then just hospitality at large. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Yeah. So let's just start uh, so that everybody understands basically who you are, why you're special, um, why you're going to give us all the insight that you can on restaurants and on hospitality. Let's start with the fact that you're the executive chairman of Seated. So first explain what Seated is and what kind of lens that gives you into the industry. Yes. So Seated is a dining app that allows restaurants to offer rewards to diners to visit the restaurant at the times when the restaurant needs them most. And what do you mean by that, when the restaurant needs them most? Well, the restaurant business is, is a fixed cost business, mm -hmm. right? Every day, my restaurant costs me $13,000 to open every day. Wow. Okay. And some days, like on Saturdays, I far exceed the $13,000. And other days, like Mondays, I may or may not. <laughs> okay. And that okay. is the economics of the restaurant business in a nutshell. Okay. It is how do you cover your fixed costs every single day? Yeah. And the way you do it is obviously by driving as much demand as you possibly can. And restaurants have what we call peak and off peak, which is, you know, the same for the hotel business, the same for the airline business, any of these fixed cost industries that operate that way. And getting people to come in, Bocaria, I know you're about to visit Bocaria Soho. We would I much am. prefer, yeah. we would much prefer for you to come in on Monday night. 
because yeah, we, don't be need you, we don't need you to come in on Friday night. <laughs> so please change your plan. I'll come <laughs> both days. How about perfect. That? That's yeah. the now frequency. Now you're getting to the next, you know, um, holy grail of the restaurant business, which is frequency. So I, I, the ideal situation is exactly what you said, which is to come in on Friday and on Tuesday. Yeah. But we don't have trouble getting people in on Friday. And right. usually the tables are full. So a lot of times people will show up on a Friday and they can't get a table. Right. Now, if that same person showed up on Tuesday, that would be a piece of revenue that we, w- we wouldn't have gotten it on Friday and yeah. we would get it on Tuesday. So Seated yeah. is designed to help the restaurant incentivize you to come on Tuesday. Okay. Now, well, that just opened up a whole box of questions. <laughs> but um, so for everybody listening who doesn't know what Bocaria is, first of all, I, we're, I'm in New York City. I understand that Bocaria has locations in a number of different cities. I'm only familiar with the New York City locations. It's a Spanish restaurant. I minored in Spanish, another fun fact, and studied abroad in Spain. So I'm really snooty about my Spanish food and Bocaria is absolutely delicious. So everybody should check it out if you're in New York or any of the other places. But that's what we're talking about. So you said you don't need me there on a Friday. You don't have trouble getting people in on a Friday. Honestly, you probably have trouble getting people out. Yes. And I feel like that's sort of what we're going through right now in this industry. And there's so much to cover here. But as far as turning tables over, right? And what's the what's the profit margin that you get on those tables? Now, here's an interesting question. Not that I want this to be about alcohol, but this is what I know about the restaurant industry is that the margin on drinks is higher than the margin on food generally especially with how costs have risen on food products over the last year or so. So if I come in on a Monday, I might not have any drinks at all, right? Versus if I come in on a Friday, I'm probably going to have a couple. Aren't I a more high value diner for you on Friday versus Monday anyway? No, because, and this is a huge mistake that restaurant operators make, is that they look at the margins of a meal. Uh-huh. The margins of a meal, whether there's alcohol in it or not alcohol in it, are going to be roughly 10%, maybe 15% net. Okay. But it doesn't matter. The margins of the restaurant are all the tables and the amount of people that were in there on that night. Mm-hmm. And that is the important metric is not to look at because even if if it costs me $13,000 a night to open my restaurant Mm -hmm. and I only get to 8,000 of revenue, I've zero margin. Yeah. You're at a loss. Yeah. On anything. I have no margin on the alcohol, no margin on the food, no margin on anything. Okay. But if I get to 20,000 of revenue, then that $7,000 is a 75% margin. Yeah. Wow. Because the only variable cost I have is the cost of the food, and that's roughly 25%. Okay. Okay. Let's back up a little this bit. This is really went, important. This, this yeah. Is, we just went deep business. on the margins, yeah. though. <laughs> so I know. Let's, let's back up to, all right, most people I think are familiar with apps like OpenTable or Resi. And OpenTable publishes the number of seated diners, right? And we've used that as a bellwether for the industry and just for economic activity at large recently, especially since we've reopened post-COVID. And you've seen, obviously, that the activity has increased. 
My question to you would, well, it's two part. Number one, how is seated different than either of those aside from it, it gives diners incentives? Um, but number two, are we back to a normal level of activity in the restaurant industry? Okay. So let's just take the first question about seated versus uh, the seated is the best way to think about it is seated is like Priceline and open table is like Sabre. Okay. So open table and resi, they're like the plumbing that the restaurant uses to operate its, its floor. Okay. Right? It's a reservation system. Yeah. yeah it'll, well, not just the reservation system. It's also the software that we use to make sure, okay, put that person at table six, put that person at, make sure table seven opens. It's floor management. The, these okay. pieces of software okay. in the beginning were just about floor management. And then they said, okay, and we allow you to take electronic reservations, which you can take via open table, via your website, via Google, whatever. So we're like Google or TripAdvisor or Apple Maps. We're like a distribution channel to get more business into the restaurant. Some of those, some of that business happens in the form of reservations, which okay. we put into open table or resi or whatever one you're using. Some of that business happens in the form of an order, which mm -hmm. we put through Chow Now or Toast or whatever you're using. So we, we aren't software. Okay. So those things that you said, those are software that sits in the restaurant. We are more of like a demand generation, like leads. Yelp. It's leads. Yeah. It's, it's uh, leads. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's business development. Okay. We're like Expedia or, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're getting people to... We're incentivizing people to go. So are there ads that I would see? Like, I, I just did a podcast episode on at the advertising industry and all the different ways that advertising touches consumers. Are there ads or how are you getting to consumers as seated? We get to them via other members. So members join and then 70% of our new members come from being told by a friend. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So big do, referral business. Yeah, okay. big referral. We do some advertising, not a ton, honestly. Frankly, it, it, Seated is, it's so much better to be introduced to Seated by a friend. Those members behave three times better than a person that we might get off Instagram. Um, okay. And we also, we get a lot of people just posting TikToks and videos about, oh my God, I went to Bocaria and I got, you know, $20 in Uber credit. You know, I can't believe this app. It's amazing. So we get a lot of organic love, basically. Did you just tell people. me I'm going to get $20 in Uber credit? No, not if you, but you didn't book through Seated. <laughs> did you oh, book through right. Seated? No, my friend booked it. Okay. And, yeah, she did seated. it. All right. That's okay. But you know what? I'll download it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So here, let's talk about this. Do you think that we're back to normal levels. And and I'm going to ask that in the context of remember back what happened on 9-11, right? And there were all of these statements that we'll never go back to flying again. And the air travel industry will never be the same. People won't get on planes, you know. And you know what? We did. We still got on them. It took a couple of years, but we got back there. 
has the restaurant industry been changed forever as far as foot traffic goes because of the pandemic? Yes. I think forever is a big word. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's it's useful. I, I think that for the foreseeable future, which I would say is three years, the business is changed because of return to work or lack thereof. So the restaurant business the restaurant business, as I think we're talking about it, which is the urban, the 14 major dining markets in the U.S. are driven quite a bit by office traffic and office culture mm-hmm. and after, after work drinks and mm-hmm. client lunches and team celebrations and those types of things are gone. Now, again, not gone, gone, but like down 90%. Mm-hmm. And so that has really hurt the business in the major cities, which is the bulk of the full service restaurant business in the US. And I don't see that coming back for at least three years. Wow. I think we're going to have to go through a full generation of, of college graduates coming into the workforce. Wow. To because right if you if you're graduating from college right now, the idea that you would go get a job in New York City and sit in your apartment is silly. Right. Right? Because you you just like why would I do that? Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to have to go through a whole generation meaning, you know, sort of 4 years of of new workers in offices to to get back to where we used to be. So t- three years from now, not three years from the end of yeah, 2020 or something. I, no, because I think we've just really in the last, like whoever you follow, right? But you know, the president declared the pandemic over. I mean, I do think it's been a matter of months that we've all felt. I mean, I don't think about it at all at any point in my day, you know. And and I don't think right. that's true for everybody. And, and and you know, we all we should understand that some people have to think about it because they're compromised or but the but the vast majority of people I think are are having their first months where they really don't think about it as part of as a calculus in what they're going to do all day. Right. So, if we don't get back to regular foot traffic or the the level of foot traffic that we were used to in restaurants and not even that. I mean, obviously New York City is a different animal, but the number of tables that are in a restaurant, right? So when it first reopened, and I was one of those really hardcore New Yorkers, I stayed here the entire pandemic, I never left. So I watched it reopen slowly. I did the takeout, I would walk 45 minutes to pick up takeout from my favorite places just to support them, because I wanted them to stay in business. And then when they reopened, I mean, to your point, it cost $13,000 just to open the restaurant. Well, they've got half the number of tables in there that they did before because regulations won't allow them to put people closer together. So they were still losing money anyway, even though they were open. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, it's good for them. They're open. But it was still at a loss every single time. And now you're right. It's probably just in the last few months or maybe this summer is when it felt like, oh, okay. Yep. Now the, the regular amount of tables are even being seated in the restaurant. But then we went through this whole thing about, sure, put all the tables back on the floor. We don't have enough wait staff to serve them, right? <laughs> so it was, it, we had one problems. Thing after it another. really has been. It's been such a struggle. But if you're saying we won't get back to that regular level of foot traffic until three years from now, 
I would imagine there are some restaurants who have been able to maybe thrive in other ways. So there's takeout or there's whatever they're doing. There was one of my favorite spots in the city. I don't remember what the name of the the website was, maybe Gold Belly, that yep. they started to sell kits, right? So their most famous dishes, they would sell kits that you could go make it at home. How have restaurants been at adapting to that environment and still being able to make money? So one of the things that was that's always been challenging about the restaurant industry is that it is driven 50% by business and 50% by artistry and passion. Hmm. And that really helped us in the pandemic, right? Because the business was gone, <laughs> mm -hmm. but the artistry and passion was there. There'll be books and books and books written about this. Yeah. The, the number of things that restaurants did, that restaurateurs did to make it, to selling kits, to cocktails on the street, mm -hmm. to cooking classes, to Zoom dinners, to, I mean, there was just, the creativity was extraordinary. Yeah. The outdoor spaces, what the cities did, the restaurant revitalization fund, the PPP, like there were so many things that happened that just gave the industry a tunnel through it. And it's really remarkable. And I think that we're, we're much, much better. My restaurant is a much better restaurant for the pandemic. Boqueria is a much hmm. better restaurant. Why? How so? We operate better. Okay. We have better technology in the restaurant. Okay. We have more capacity because of outdoor space. We are much tighter with the menu. We got tighter on how the menu operates, what the ingredients are. Just, it, we were just forced. Yeah. So we were forced to be better at the business and we were forced to be really, really, really creative. Yeah. And that has led now to a situation where the operators that are still standing are thriving. Now, now we're about to go into a situation with inflation mm -hmm. and the economy that's going to be yet another blow, but it's likely to bring the workers back. Okay. So, so let's that. So it's going to be a give and a take. Yeah. Um, let's, um, let's talk about inflation as, as an effect for a minute. So I'm so tired of talking about inflation. I mean, I, I talk about markets and economies for a living. So I've clearly been talking about inflation for a long time, but even just food inflation. So there was actually a period of time where Eating at home, food at home, was more expensive or had gone up more than food out, right? So it actually made more economic sense for consumers to go eat out than it did for them to go to the grocery store and spend the money on, you know, the double and tripling cost of eggs or, or whatever the case may be, meat. I mean, there was that period where we went through huge meat increases. Did that help the restaurant industry for a period of time or has inflation been nothing but bad? since it started? So the U.S. economy is, it, it's, this is not a good thing, mm -hmm. but it is massively imbalanced. And the income distribution in this country, as we all know, is tough. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so what restaurants have done is they've just passed the cost on to the menu 
And the people who can afford to go out don't even see the difference in a dollar. Like if we add a dollar onto the cost of the sangria at Boqueria, it is so more wildly profitable. Mm -hmm. And frankly, like people like you and I, we don't notice the dollar, right? So it's been this thing where Mm -hmm. we've just kept raising prices to combat inflation and it hasn't really impacted business. I think that it is much more difficult at the level, as you've probably been reading, at the McDonald's, Walmart level. But at the full-service restaurant level, Mm -hmm. it hasn't been a bad thing. Now, if it goes on for years and years, it'll obviously be bad. But the return of the workers and the lowering of wages or or just the stopping and the increasing of wages has been a better offset and been worth it. Because that's what that's what's happening, right? Is that mm-hmm. the Fed's getting what they want, jobs are slowing, and so people are not can't be as picky, and so they are gonna go back to the restaurant business and they are coming back to the restaurant business. So right now it's been a net positive yeah. for the full service restaurant business. I wanna make that very clear. It's not it's not all right. We're not talking about Okay. Burger King and McDonald's. I don't I don't know anything about those businesses really and I don't know how they're being impacted, but Bocaria has it's been it's been net positive. Okay, so I'm going to just do a quick caveat for our listeners. This is much like it, what Bo's explaining is much like what's happening in earnings right now. If you look at corporate earnings and I've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks that typically you see earnings growth above revenue growth. But what's happening in the third quarter and the fourth quarter of this year and then the full year 2022 is that revenue growth is outpacing earnings growth because of inflation. So when you talk about top line growth, that's revenue growth. Bottom line is net income or earnings, the earnings number that we talk about. Because of inflation, prices have been rising, right? Costs have been passed on to consumers. So the revenue, that top line number that consumers are paying businesses for its products and services has risen faster than their bottom line. And the bottom line is what gets eaten into by rising costs. So anyway, that's exactly what Bo just described. But in the restaurant industry where you've got, you know, restaurants that are passing along some of their costs onto the menu in his sangria example, for instance, when you look at maybe it was, I'm making this up, 1999 a pitcher before now it's 2099 nobody cares they still bought it right that increased the revenue of the restaurant the ease of passing that through has been fine here's where the risk lies actually when inflation falls in a lot of companies especially goods producing companies as inflation falls so does revenue and that's where you kind of get the squeeze and i think we're still probably a few months out from that but anyway sorry short caveat all right so now I want to talk about I want to talk about technology's effect on hospitality because I feel like you have probably a very unique view into that. You invest in a number of different businesses on the tech side that are linked to hospitality and you invest in them in many different ways and you're an operator. So give me your view on how technology has maybe improved hospitality, how it has been a challenge for hospitality businesses? What, whatever your take is on that, I'm, I'm really interested in it. Uh, both. Okay. So it, it, is, it is radically improved. 
the, the, the business and it is radically complicated. You can't just open up a restaurant and buy some food and, and buy a stove and, mm-hmm. you know, open put some up. stuff on a plate and just wait for a line to form out the door. Right. You, you can't, you can't <laughs> yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. You have to get a POS, a modern cloud-based POS. You have to get- Point of sale, right? Uh, yeah, point of sale, yep. sorry. You, you, you have to get a cloud-based payroll system, mm-hmm. a, a payroll, an HR system. You, you have to get uh, you know, all the stuff for, for reservations, for ordering, for, I mean, it is, I think we did a map of the num- pieces of technology that we use at Bocaria and it's 80 different pieces. Wow. 80. 80 different tools that you're it's using? Ins- the tools. It's, it's insane. Wow. Does yeah, every restaurant for, have to do that? Like, for instance, you'll have, if you want to use Chow Now as your ordering system and you use Aloha as your POS, you need two pieces of software to get those two things to talk to each other. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Now, the toasts of the world... And the Resis and the Chownows, which are modern tech stacks, are making this easier every day. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, as someone who both has to deal with that situation in my restaurants and also benefit from it as seated, because without those things, that software in the restaurant, seated's job would be much harder. Mm-hmm. So it's great. But you need, if you're going to have a restaurant, if you're going to have 100 seat restaurant, you can probably operate without an IT person. But if you're going to have anything more than that, if you're going to have two restaurants, you need a full-time IT person. Wow. And see, this is the stuff that as, you know, as I walk into a restaurant and I think to myself, I just want that pasta dish. I'm not thinking about all the other things that have to happen in order for me to walk in, sit down, have a reservation get my pasta dish, be seated in the right place in the restaurant, pay my bill, right? All the things. It's crazy. That's all that stuff is is happening with technology. So is there an opportunity? Because I mean, I imagine 80 different tools to operate one restaurant business is not efficient Nope. from a technology standpoint. Is there an opportunity in that landscape for, I don't know what it would be, consolidation? Yeah. Um, does somebody yeah, so- need to come in and buy a bunch of them up and become you know, a a larger provider of a number of different functions? It's going to be the POS businesses. So there's really five, maybe six modern cloud-based POS systems that matter. And Mm -hmm. that is really the central nervous system of the restaurant. And the more things that you can get from your POS, the better. So for instance, at my restaurant, we run one of those six POSs called Lightspeed. And we had a choice. We had never done online ordering before the pandemic, and we had to do it. We had a choice. We could either use the software that Lightspeed offers us as part of the POS to take online orders, or we could use Chow Now or Ninefold or one of the independent providers. Now, the truth is, the Chow Now software is better hmm. than the one that Lightspeed offers us, which is, by the way, a business that they bought three years ago. 
Okay. But not better enough <laughs> to make up for the hassle of having to buy another piece of software from another vendor that doesn't talk to our POS without another right. piece of software. Right. So right. Oh my gosh. we just, as many things as we can get from Lightspeed, we get from Lightspeed. And at, and at Bocaria, as many things as we can get from Toast, which is the POS that we use at Bocaria, we get from Toast. And mm-hmm. what Toast has been doing in Lightspeed and Clover, and they buy up the other little pieces of technology so that hopefully the, num- the 80 number will go to 40 to 30 to 20 as Toast buys more of the functionality or builds it themselves that we mm-hmm. need to run the restaurant. If okay. we had our way, we would get everything from Toast or Lightspeed or, you know, and your choice would be one choice. Which one of those six do you want to use? And yeah. pretty much everything else comes from them. Well, somebody's going to figure that out, right? They, I mean, being, they have to. It's, it's figured out. It's just a question of, yeah. it has to happen. You know, right. it just has to, it's right. just going to take time. But you know what? I'll tell you, investors, as you're listening, that's the opportunity. And when we talk about consolidation in an industry, those are the opportunities. And look, if you hop on the right train and you hop on the train of the company that figures that out first or figures it out better, actually, sometimes the first one is not the best one, but figures it out better, you're off to the races, right? It's just a matter of we don't know what, what that business is. All right. I have two questions left. I know we're coming up on time and you got a jolt. First one. I was recently in Portugal on vacation, and I had a very different experience with dining there and the staff than you do in the United States. And we started to ask the the staff there, you know, why are you so happy? <laughs> why do you like your job so much? How come you don't want us to tip you? I mean, we, we'd tip them and they'd roll their eyes sort of and be like, oh, you Americans and your tips, you know. So then we started, I just got so curious of, you know, what's different? And the answer was they get paid a salary. They have benefits. They get health insurance benefits. I think many people in the U.S. know this, but a lot of servers, wait staff, don't get paid very much in salary, and they depend on tips for that income. So that's why there is such a tipping culture. Many of them do not get benefits. So my question really, and it's a very pointed question, is like, are we doing it wrong? And does it need to change? Liz, this is like, I mean, this has been a debate in the restaurant business really for the past, the five years before COVID, this was a huge debate. And you may remember that Danny Meyer, who's probably the most influential full service restaurant operator in the US, Mm -hmm. went to no tipping Mm -hmm. and it failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And I, through no fault of his, it's just the no. Culture, his intentions were in the right place, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, it's way better the system that they have in in Europe, where there's much more quality between what we call the front of the house and the back of the house. Mm-hmm. So in in here, the waiters make more than the cooks, mm-hmm. which because of tips, mm-hmm. which just makes no sense. Right. But it's ingrained and it's very, very difficult thing to change. And, you know, what the waiters will tell you is, hey, well, look, we're the salespeople. You know, the salespeople at every company make more than, you know, the people who are in admin, you know, and 
you know, I'm not saying that cooks, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that cooks are admin, but like that's the way that people view it. If you're customer facing, if you're the one selling the product, you mm-hmm. should make more. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's just a culture we have here. Yeah. And I don't think it's going away. I mean, it's true. It's, it's an argument on both sides, right? You could say as, as a waiter, the food doesn't make it into somebody's mouth, doesn't make it onto the table without me. And the cook would say, well, you don't have any food to put on the table without me, right? Yeah. Um, it's, I think about it pretty often, and, and especially in New York City, where the city just thrives on the restaurant business. And, yep. and you can feel it's palpable when there's a mood in a restaurant that's negative, amongst the staff. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Not Probably not for us to solve on this podcast right now. My last question to you would be, if we go into a classic recession scenario, what happens to the restaurant business, including those full-service restaurants that have not suffered yet? So uh, something we haven't talked about, which is, is really important, is that a huge part of your fixed costs as a restaurant owner is your rent. Mm-hmm. And your rent is usually the function of a relationship with one person, your landlord. Mm-hmm. And if that person is willing to play ball and help, you can solve a ton of these problems. And indeed, that is what happened in the pandemic that was written about a lot and talked about a lot was that landlords got flexible. And there were dozens and hundreds and thousands of restaurants that didn't pay any rent. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have to pay rent, you, you, your business is very profitable. Yeah. yeah. So I think that there's a, that's, that's a big variable that, can get played with relatively easily. And in fact, pre-COVID, we had a situation happening in New York where some restaurants were being given zero or free rent because the building owners wanted the restaurants in the buildings. Sure, okay. Which is why you see like Boqueria, if you had said to Jan Derokfor, the CEO 10 years ago, would you ever do a hotel restaurant? He would say no. Now he'll do one any day of the week Mm -hmm. because the hotel has an incentive for that restaurant to be there that's much bigger than the revenue of the space that they might, the rent of the space they might get from Boqueria. Okay. So big commercial buildings, big residential buildings, hotels, they are giving rent deals that are and, – and so I think I, – I am not – look, it's going to hurt the business, but I think if landlords continue to be flexible op- and operate – now, what happened in COVID and this will happen in inflation is what we call the Taurus operators, people who are just like, oh, I'm a good cook, so I'll open a restaurant. Those people get weeded out. Okay. Okay. And that's what will continue. That's what happens in every downturn is the 50% of the operators who are who really don't know what they're doing get weeded out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Survival of the fittest. Let I guess yeah, let it's that like any other business. Yeah. Let that be your lesson though that it's like, okay, I like eating out and I like to cook. That doesn't mean that you should open a restaurant. <laughs> it's not It doesn't. It's not it that easy. It not is, that easy. It is not. It is actually a relatively easy business to understand, but it is a hard business to operate. 
Yeah, fair. Okay. Awesome. Well, Bo, thank you very, very much. I look very much forward to my next visit to Bocaria, but I promise after that I will book it unseated and figure out what this app is all about. But thank you for shedding light on the industry. Thank you for shedding light on how a restaurant operates. And I hope that anybody listening to this, when you walk into a restaurant next time, you will think about all the things that probably had to happen in order for you to be there, in order for you to eat there, in order for you to pay, in order for the wait staff to show up, all of those things. And there's so much interworking that goes on behind the scenes. So Bo, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And appreciate you bringing attention to this stuff. And if you want to really help restaurants, go on Monday and Tuesday night. <laughs> okay, fine. Seriously. Fine. That's the biggest help go... you can give your favorite restaurant. Yeah. yeah sold. Yeah. You don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> oh, wow. So first of all, I love restaurants. I spend a lot of time in restaurants. <laughs> it is one of my favorite pastimes to go out to eat, especially in New York City where we have so many options. But here's here are some things that I learned from that. First of all, even though it feels like things are back to normal, it was very clear that he does not think things are back to normal yet and that it in fact might take three more years from now just to get back to that pre-pandemic level of foot traffic, largely because as we all know, Yes, some of us are back in the office, or maybe we're back in the office two or three days a week, but we're not back to the level that we were before. And there are entire parts of cities. I know we talked a lot about New York in that episode, but New York is just such a, a good example of this. There are entire parts of the city that just do not have the same level of office visiting that used to go on. And many of the restaurants in those areas have failed and have not been able to reopen because of that. So we've still got a lot of work to do to get back to that level of activity. Some of the other things that were interesting, the effect of inflation so far. So at this point in the cycle, inflation has actually been a benefit to many of those full service restaurants because they've been able to pass on the cost. And as I talked about in the episode, that increases their revenue growth it doesn't increase their earnings or their bottom line, their net income as much, but it increases their revenue growth. So inflation has been a benefit. And at some point, though, when inflation falls, that could become a bit of a squeeze. We also learned how much of a role tech plays. I think he said 80 different tools were needed to operate one restaurant. And and here's what I would think. I immediately thought about as an investor, that's an opportunity because that is wildly inefficient. And there's got to be some way for consolidation or some company to take a vast majority of that business and make it more efficient. So I think there's probably a lot of changes to come in that restaurant tech landscape. And I'm interested in, in seeing how that goes. But other than that, I thought it was a wonderful episode. I think that everybody on here probably thinks about it a little bit differently now than than we used to. And I am so excited to bring, of course, the next episode to you very soon. For more from me, check out my weekly column on the markets and economy every Thursday morning on the SoFi blog at SoFi.com slash blog. And follow me on Twitter for daily takes on the market at Liz Youngstrap. The Important Part is produced by SoFi in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Sarah Lee Kane, our producer, Brian Rivers, our production manager, and Adam Raimonda, our editor and sound engineer. SoFi can't guarantee future financial performance and past performance is no guarantee. This podcast should be used for informational purposes only and not deemed as a recommendation. Our automated investing is via SoFi Wealth, LLC, and is a registered investment advisor. 
Our active investing is via SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. For additional disclosures related to the SoFi Invest platforms, please visit sofi.com legal.